Good morning. I'm recording a podcast today, or a monologue, rather than typing something. And I ought to say, before we get going, that the puppy is somewhere in the house. I have no idea what he's up to. And so if I have to interrupt this, it's only to let him in my wee office. I've already taken the toilet roll off of him, which he was uh, about to decimate. I, I'm, I'm hesitant, I suppose, at the moment about sharing too much and talking too much in the midst of the war, the crisis that's unfolding daily in Ukraine. And I'll be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at the news because I've been too busy with work. I've had, as they say, a lot on my plate. Of course, I can't believe that we've even arrived at this situation. It's beyond my comprehension. I never thought that we'd hear... the idea of nuclear weapons being used tactically or otherwise in this day and age. But the thing is, in the midst of all this, I still feel a deep sense of connection to the work, not my legal work, that's the paid stuff, but the work that I feel and have felt drawn to for a long time, certainly since 2010, but if I'm honest, it's probably been there from the very beginning. And I don't think it was any accident this morning that I was scrolling at about four o'clock through Facebook, which I very rarely do. And I came across a video of a poet and a priest called Malcolm Guit, Guit, G-U-I-T-E, that Dr. Martin Shaw had shared, which was a talk that C.S. Lewis gave, I think in about 1939, December 30, December 39, it's called Learning in Wartime. And I won't read it out or spend any time on it. I'll put a link to the video of Malcolm's But all it was saying really is that even in the darkest times, there is still an obligation to do our work, to do our learning. And that was reassuring and it was similar to what a friend of mine had said in response to a post this week that I put out on Substack. Perhaps this is the time more than ever that people need to be reflecting on what it means to wake up to their true nature, to come alive to who they really are. But I wanted to start this monologue with a reading from a book that I've had for a couple of weeks now called Stranger in the Mask of a Deer by Richard Skelton. And I wish I could remember who recommended it to me. It's a 
it's a piece of poetry. It's a bit more than that, really. It's um, it's beautifully put together. Um, it's produced by pen, um, sorry, penned in the margins. I'm just looking how many pages are in this, 165 pages. And this is on page 50. And it starts with the words burning, flickering. And if you follow this way, remember this it said, that animal has its own life, and plant has its own life, and stone has its own life, and hill has its own life, and cloud has its own life, and river has its own life, and path has its own life, and star has its own life, and above has its own life, and below has its own life. And these lives are nothing if not inextricable, and these lives are nothing if not inseparable, and in that very affinity these lives are nothing less than equal, and in that very affinity these lives are nothing more than equal, and these lives are aspects of each other therefore, and these lives are part of the same whole therefore. It goes on to say then, and life is nothing less and nothing more than singular, therefore, and life is everywhere, therefore, and nowhere is there that is not life, therefore. And the world alive and thinking and feeling, and the world is consciousness experiencing itself endlessly, as if for the first time. And the world is the self reflecting self, the self reflecting self and that's that's the point isn't it that we're all inextricably connected whether we like it or not this isn't a case of saying anything other than that really that we are all bound some way and somehow together I know it may not feel like that, but that's what I fundamentally believe, that there is a unity to everything. And as I say that, I hear what sounds like a blackbird starting to sing outside. I heard an owl this morning as I was waking up. And nature is a wonderful source of inspiration. It's a touchstone in many ways. I remember in Thomas Merton's book, New Seeds of Contemplation, there's a beautiful line, I think it's in chapter six, where he says, a tree gives glory to God for being a tree. And to me, that, that expresses beautifully the fact that the tree is a tree. It's not trying to be something that it's not. Now, that may seem churlish to you, but it's not to me, because too often the culture that we're born into, or at least the one that I was born into, wanted us, or me, to be a certain way, to behave in a particular way, to not speak out, not speak up to conform, to be a good boy. 
I don't think I've ever been a good boy, or not in that sense. I've never felt comfortable, ever, I don't think, with the culture that I was born into. In fact, I found it very painful at times, particularly as we've seen the unfolding environmental crisis. And I've done more than a bit of head scratching, thinking to myself, how the hell did it get like this? How the hell did it get like this? But of course, it's easy to get lost in our thinking, to go down one rabbit hole and then another. And before we know it, we've lost. We've lost that connection with that deeper part of us. We can't make sense of things. We don't know which way to turn. We lose focus. We lose clarity. And the problem is there's just too much distraction, says he with the phone that went off a minute ago. But there is, there's literally too much distraction. And my message isn't that you need to do anything. I'm not here to give you a seven-step program or to invite you to change your habits. If I'm trying to say anything, it's to find that deeper connection. And the trouble is I've seen so many situations where people leave it too late to ask themselves a more serious question than what's next. And it's usually an extremist. Either they're facing the end of their life, they've watched somebody close to them die, or they have a sudden shock where they lose everything. And then they start asking the deeper question, who am I? Now, of course, these questions are all human-centered. They're anthropocentric. And let's be honest, nature couldn't care less about us. It doesn't need us. But what does it mean to be more human? And of course, the word human is only one letter less than the word humane. Does it mean to be more human, to acquire more stuff? I hope you managed to make sense of things. But for now, that's probably enough. Take care. Until the next time, as they say.